In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of the month of Abib, and we read in the Gospel reading, the Lord is speaking about the offenses that will come in the world, and woe to those through whom the offenses will come. He says, woe to the world because of offenses. And the offense is something that a person does that has some kind of a negative impact on another person, causes them to stumble, causes them to lose their faith, causes them to sin in some way. And so we look at our responsibility, we who are the light of the world that the Lord has called us to be, and we ask our, this question among ourselves is, do we cause offense to others? Do I cause an offense by my words? Do I cause an offense by my attitude? Do I cause offense by my action? Because the Lord tells us today that we will be called to account based on how is it that we might offend other people. So I want to speak about two aspects. The first one is what are some common causes of offenses, whether it be toward the world in general or whether it be toward children whom he mentioned specifically because they are so vulnerable and so impressionable. And then two, what is some of the remedies that we can think about in order to avoid these offenses. The first uh, common cause of offense that we'll discuss is that we might offend others by giving a distorted image of God and the church. How do we give a distorted image about God? How is it that we speak about God and how is it that we see him? Do we see him as being a God who is only a judge, a God who is only a, a, like a taskmaster who is willing and wanting to bring judgment upon each person and wanting to see them to fall and wanting to find every mistake in them and only focusing on the negative things that people do? Do we focus on one aspect of God who is a God who judges sin alone? And maybe we reflect this in our words and our actions and the way that we portray God or when we even are raising our children, the way that we raise them is that we tell them things like God is upset with you or God is sad about toward you or God is, um, is, 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 is judging you for every time they make some kind of mistake and sin and fall. Or do we do the opposite? where we, we portray God as being a God who will not judge at all, a God who is going to be portrayed as someone who is going to um, not count any sin against anyone, even, even if they do not repent. A God who is so merciful that even if someone is living far from him and never repents of their sin, that God is still going to have mercy on them. There is a balance in between these two extremes, that God is both a God of mercy and a God of justice. He is a God who wants us to do right, but he's also a God who understands our weakness and is merciful toward us. How do we see the church and how do we portray the church? Do we portray the church as a means of salvation, as a place that we go to be saved? Or do we portray the, portray the church as a place that is maybe not very necessary or a place that is kind of backwards and the way that the church thinks about morality or the way that the, the church preaches about God or against social issues and things that are happening in the world around us? Is the church essential for me is the, search, is the church essential for my salvation? How do we portray the church to our children and to others? Second common cause of offense is that we are teaching the word of God, but in words only and not by my actions. My faith is limited only to a certain set of beliefs that I proclaim. But if you look at my life, there is very little to reflect this belief in the way that I live. I say that the church is important, but I don't go very often. I say that the commands and the word of God is important, but I really don't even try to live by it. I say that fasting is important, but I do not fast. There are many things that we as Orthodox believe and we might declare to be true and we might even teach our children that these things are good and right, 
But if you look at our example, you see that we are really not practicing these things. In James chapter 3, verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many things. Indeed, we do stumble in many things. But is, do I have a desire for repentance? Do our children see us going for confession? Does the world see us that we are able to admit our faults, our mistakes, our weaknesses, that maybe as we as Christians should be the very first ones to apologize? You know, oftentimes we are waiting for another person to apologize to us for something that they have done. We actually, as believers, should be the first ones to apologize whenever we have done anything wrong, even if someone else is also to blame and they do not come to apologize to us. This, after all, is what the Lord has commanded. The Lord has commanded for us to love our enemies. We spoke um, uh, last time or the time before about the love of God and the characteristics of this love and how God calls us to love our enemies. And he says, even sinners love those who love them. So how much more should we as believers love those, even those who do not love us? If we do not have this love, then maybe we are a stumbling block to others. That while we come and proclaim all this lofty faith that we have, and yet maybe I am not able to do or even try to do even the, the most basic things that the Lord has commanded us to do. Maybe this is a source of stumbling um, for others. A third source of stumbling is that I teach the commands and the traditions of men, meaning I teach my own teaching. I teach my own tradition. I teach my own faith. I teach my own understanding of morality. And instead of teaching, what is it that God has said? In Matthew 15, verse 9, it says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is something that the Pharisees had a big problem with, because they would invent commands and laws and rules, and they would impose those on the people, things that God himself had not even told the people to do, and these would become an offense, right? These, these would become an offense. Some people, for instance, who are believers, they, they, what, they come up with the idea that if we are good and faithful Christians, that God will not allow us to suffer. Who, who came up with this doctrine? It's, it's the ideas, the tradition of men. Certain people came up with this doctrine. God actually says contrary to this. He says, no, even as believers, we will suffer, but that God will be with us and grant us some uh, purpose and, and, and reward for the suffering that we suffer. Some people believe that if we pray to God, that God is definitely going to answer our prayer. If someone is sick and I pray that God would heal them, that God is definitely going to answer this prayer. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Why do we get the idea that for sure God is going to heal every person that we pray for or that God is going to answer every prayer that we pray? Maybe this also is a tradition of men, something that we have come up with. Maybe it brings us comfort. Maybe this is what we want to believe. But this is not what we see in practice, and this is not what the Lord commanded. What is it that I am teaching about God? If I teach people that uh, you will never experience suffering, uh, as, a, as a Christian, then certainly when someone who is a believer experiences suffering, they're going to have a great disappointment. Or when someone prays and God does not respond to their prayer or answer their prayer the way that they wanted, then that person will be disappointed. Maybe that will be a stumbling block and a, and a, and a, and a block of offense for them. So we have to be very careful what is it that we're actually teaching. Are we teaching what the Bible and the scripture tell us? Or are we teaching our own ideas or what we wish to be true? A fourth uh, common uh, source of stumbling is neglecting the saving doctrines of God. When we speak about theology, when we speak about what is it that God has taught us, when we speak about the sacraments, when we speak about um, all the aspects of the faith, of baptism, of communion, of confession, and these things, these things are life-giving sacraments. These things are, are, are life-giving aspects of faith 
without which the Lord has said there is no salvation. But some people, they like to distill the Christian faith essentially down to all that matters is that you love God. All that matters is that you love God. And it sounds nice because we know that loving God is important. And we know that loving people is important. And that seems like very much a big part of the ministry of Christ. And very often he would rebuke people because they didn't have genuine love in their hearts for others. And he speaks about what does the true love look like. But does that mean that loving God is the only aspect of the faith? Does that mean that there is nothing else to the Christian faith other than just love God and love people and that's all? Why is it that God spoke about baptism and that through baptism we become the, the children of God? Why is it that he said that unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you have no life in you? Why is it that he said all about all these other life-giving sacraments that we are called to participate in? Are these things unimportant? Maybe we become a stumbling block because we try to distill the faith and to try to make it into something that it really isn't. There is more to it than just love God and love your neighbor. Even people who are non-Christian can love God and love their neighbor. Someone can just love other people, right? But how is it that we are called to love? Our love is different than the love that they are able to love. And, and, and it's not just only loving. It is about receiving from the Lord a sacrament, receiving from the Lord a mystery, receiving from him the, a spiritual change and transformation that happens in us as believers. These things are not unimportant. These things are not trivial. Actually, these things are absolutely essential because without these, there is no salvation. This is what the Lord has said. So we become a stumbling block when we neglect these saving doctrines. Another stumbling block that we might be to others is that we are confusing our children by exposing them to other beliefs. Children are very impressionable. And when we give them the, um, the impression that all Christian faiths and all Christian churches are the same, all Christian beliefs are the same. Going back to the previous point, all that matters is that we love God and all these other things are kind of unimportant. We should be careful what we teach our children. We should be careful what they're exposed to. This is why in the church, whenever we are speaking about two people wanting to get married, like if you have a Coptic person who wants to marry a non-Coptic person, what is it that the church requires? The church requires that the non-Coptic person be catechized, meaning that they accept the faith, they learn about it, they're willing to be baptized, and they join the church. And this joining of the church should not just be, I'm doing this because I want to get married. No, I'm sh I should be doing this because I really and truly accept this faith, right? Because what will happen otherwise is that this person who maybe comes to the church without fully accepting, without fully agreeing to or understanding the faith, they will gradually draw away the Coptic person from the church. We, we confuse the issue, and, and, and especially when there is a couple of this sort that has children, what do we teach our children? Do we teach the children the faith of orthodoxy as we believe it, or do we give them mixed messages? We tell them some person says, oh no, we should go to this church this week, and another person says, no, we should go to this other church this other week. And these churches have different teachings. These churches, they teach different things. How is our children going to perceive it? They're going to consider that all of these things really don't matter. Everybody has a different opinion about it, and they keep hearing these different messages, and they really don't matter in the end. So we can be a stumbling block for our children when we expose them to all these different beliefs without teaching them the truth. Another stumbling block that we have um, for our children and for, for others is when we are contradicting the church teachings. Sometimes the church gives us uh, a teaching that we don't fully agree with that we don't fully maybe even understand, but we don't agree with it. 
And so sometimes we take it upon ourselves to just ignore it because it doesn't really fit me, doesn't fit my lifestyle, doesn't fit what I want. And so I'm just going to ignore it. It doesn't seem important to me. It seems kind of trivial. But what message do we send then to others? And what message do we send to our children? If our children see us ignoring certain things that we just don't like and we don't want to practice, then they are going to have in their mind that anything at all that I just don't like and I don't want to practice, I can ignore, right? Because if I see my parents, for instance, doing this, or if other people outside the church see us doing this, it's like, well, the church then is not really an authority, right? Because if the church were an authority, if the church truly had the gift that the Lord had given to bind and to loose, then we would listen to the church as the authority coming from God, even when we disagree, even when I don't understand or I don't want or I don't like what is it that the church is teaching. In the end, I accept it because I feel like this is uh, out of obedience that I'm going to obey and listen to what the church is saying. But if I selectively choose to ignore certain things and decide on my own, this is important, this is not important, then certainly those people who are seeing me as an example are also going to do the same. And maybe the things that they're going to choose to ignore are far more important even than the things that I ignore. That's why it's very important for us to see that we are not going to be contradicting what the church is teaching. If we really believe the church is a place of salvation, then we accept whatever the church teaches as being life-giving. What are some remedies of, uh, of being a stumbling block? The first remedy is that we learn from the right source. In Nehemiah 8 verse 1, it says what? Now all the people gathered together as one, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. The word of God is a source of knowledge, and it is a guidebook which we should live by. It's not for private interpretation or understanding, but we bring the book of, of the law, or we bring the word of God, and we all in unity as one, consenting and submitting to the will of God, we read it and we live according to it. Having the right source, what is the problem nowadays is that everyone has a different source. And for many people, they are their own source, their own opinion is their own source of how I should live, what I should believe, what I should do. And that is why in the world we find that there is no unity. You know, we always speak about diversity as being a virtue. We speak about how diversity is good and we want people of all different, all different uh, cultures and all different ethnicities. And, and yes, diversity is good, but you can't have diversity without unity. Right? It is, it is out of many, one. You know what, what it says, uh, the Latin phrase, e pluribus unum? It means out of many, one. So you bring many, you bring diversity, and then unite them together as one behind one thing. And in the church, the one thing is our faith. So you got to have people from all kinds of languages, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of different backgrounds, and they come to the church and they are one because they have one faith, because we have one faith. And we have one source of learning. We have one source of teaching. We, we have one moral system. We have one spiritual understanding of God. We have one faith. We have one theology. We have one baptism. So this is what unites us to be one. But if you have diversity alone, without any kind of unity, then every group might be coming with contradictory ideas not just of things that are opinions or optional, but things that are essential in the church when we speak about our faith, when we speak about what is it that we believe. So as Orthodox, we only believe in one faith. There is only one. And we, we say every other faith is incorrect. That doesn't make us better than other people, but it means that we have received from God the true faith and that we preserve that faith and we teach that faith and we 
joy are joyful in that faith and when we want to bring other people to the church we want to bring them into that faith yes they are of different cultures and different languages and, and whatever it might be but we want to, to unite them together with us in that one faith in that one right understanding in that one uh, orthodox faith that we believe a second remedy for being a stumbling block is that we follow the commandments of God even if no one else is doing so even if no one else does it's easy for us to compromise when we see that other people around us are also compromising. It's easy for us to live like the world because we so, see so many examples of the world. We see it on the TV, on social media, on everywhere, wherever we go, in our work or school or whatnot. We see examples of people living according to the philosophies of the world. And so it is easy for us to accept this and to be like them because we want to just blend into that. We want to live according to that system because we don't want to be called out. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be a source of offense for anyone. And we just kind of want things to go in peace without there being any kind of uh, problem. In Philippians 2.15, it says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is what St. Paul said to the Philippians. He acknowledges that we are living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so, clearly, he doesn't want us also to be wicked and perverse. He's saying very clearly that you are not going to live like the world, you are not called to be like the world, and you must stand out as the world. And so if the world is darkness, and he is saying what? then we are to shine like lights in this wicked and perverse generation. The only way to shine like light in this darkness that we are in is to be different than the darkness. You cannot be as the darkness. You cannot follow the same principles and system of darkness and expect to be the light. This is what we are called for. We are an offense to others when we act like them because we are called to act differently. We are called to believe differently. We are called to elevate and to lighten the world so that they will turn from wicked, from being wicked and perverse, to turn to being pure and righteous. This is what the Lord has called us for. So we become a stumbling block when we act like them. So we are called what? To be followers of God even when there isn't a single person who is. A great example of this is Daniel the prophet. Daniel, he was taken from his home even though he was a righteous man and sent into exile. And you see example after example about how his faithfulness, how his refusal to live like the Babylonians, how his refusal to worship like the Babylonians, to eat even like the Babylonians, was a source of blessing for all of the Babylonians to the point where even the king believed in God through Daniel. Right? We can look at the world around us, and yes, we see many obstacles of being faithful and, and expressing our Christian faith, and in some cases, it's, we should, we're not even allowed to express our Christian faith in certain areas. But that doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change that we can still touch the lives of other people through our words, through our example, through our care, through our love, through our worship, not being afraid to hide who we really are. Not being afraid to admit that we fast. Not being afraid to admit that we attend the church and we attend Bible study, studies. Not being afraid to admit who we really are and instead of trying to hide and to blend in with others. A third remedy for being a stumbling block is to understand the human weakness. In Jeremiah 17.9 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperate, desperately wicked. Who can know it? One of the reasons that many people stumble is because they don't understand themselves. They don't understand their motivations. They don't understand what drives them. 
And so people go into situations maybe thinking themselves to be stronger than they are or falling into addictions and not realizing how careful we need to be to protect ourselves from falling into such things because ultimately we are weak. This is why the Lord calls us always to be watchful, to be alert, to be careful, to stay away from sin or anything at all that could be potentially tempting to us because we are like sheep that are so easy to fall. We are not the brightest. We are not the strongest. We are the weakest. Sheep are one of the, the most simple animals. They, are, they cannot protect themselves. They, they really can't do much for themselves. They have to follow the shepherd. The shepherd is the one who has to protect them. This is why he calls us to be sheep. The fact that he used the sheep as the analogy of who we are tells us something about us, tells us something about how easy it is for us to go astray, tells us that we are unable to function without the presence of the shepherd and that we should always be following him. When we understand ourselves and our, and our weakness, it gives us a sense of humility about ourselves and to keep our, our eyes and ears open to the Lord, to keep our submitting to the Lord, knowing that he knows better than we know. It is a remedy for offenses when people look at us and see our humility because we understand our weakness, because we know that we are not strong. The world wants to pretend like it's strong. Everyone is strong, everyone is clever, everyone knows what's right, everyone feels like justified in their actions because everybody knows what to do all the time. But we come and we say, no, we are sinners. We call ourselves sinners. How often do we say that we are sinners? How often do we ask for the mercy of the Lord because we are unable to save ourselves? Because we're unable to make good decisions ourselves. How often do we ask for the will of God because our own will might be corrupted or we don't understand what is right and what is it that we should do? When we express this to the world, when we tell people that, that we don't have all of the answers, when we tell people that we are weak and that we are in need of God, this is why we, we refer to God as Savior. We are unable to be saved without him. We are in need of salvation because without him, we are unable to live and we're unable to have eternal life for sure. So we have to be careful that we are easily deceived and we have to express this to the world that they would know us um, and see us in this way. And then finally, searching diligently for the true faith. How is it that we would not be an offense to others? That we search diligently for the true faith. There was a group called the Bereans in Acts 17, that, and it says about them, they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. When I look at myself and I, I want to know is what I'm doing, is what I'm believing right, we should be like these Bereans, that we receive the word and we are constantly searching the scripture. We are trying to, constantly trying to see whether what we are hearing is true. Whether, whether, whether what we are hearing is true or not. Oftentimes, sadly today, many of us, many people, they will hear whatever it is in the news or in social media or whatever other philosophy and they will just accept it because many other people accept it. They will accept it because there seems to be a lot of social pressure behind it. There seems to be a lot of quote unquote science behind it. There seems like a lot of people who are believing a certain thing. And so maybe we also should believe it as well. But here, these, this group of people, even though they were not yet believers, they were trying to search and understand whether this message that the, that the apostles were preaching to them was the true message or not. And they didn't decide this simply based on their opinion. They didn't decide this simply based on speaking to other people about it. But it says what they searched the scripture daily 
to find out whether these things were so. They cared about the truth. They cared about the truth and they went to the right source in order to discover whether the things that they had been presented with were the truth or not. They wanted to corroborate the things that St. Paul was telling them with what is it that they found in the scripture. We also should do the same. When we are presented with philosophies and ideas and, and, and the opinions of people and things in the news and people who, who claim to be experts about different areas, we say, does this conform to what God has said? And, and maybe part of the issue is that we consider that the, 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 the sources of information in the world are actually more credible than the word of God. If I truly believe in the word of God and I place it above and higher than any other source of information and knowledge in the world, then I compare everything to that. I say, what is it that God has taught? What is it that God has, has, has passed to us? What is it that God is teaching us? And that becomes my source. And I go back to it again and again and again. What is it that God has taught? This is what gives us knowledge and understanding as believers, as Christians, because we get our knowledge from God and we don't get our knowledge from TV or social media or anything else. We take what we hear and we discover in the scripture whether it is true or not. So we spoke about many ways that we could avoid being an offense to people and some remedies of how we could um, or sorry, some of ways we can be an offense to people and some remedies of how we can avoid this. The Lord has called each of us to be a steward, a steward of whether we are parents and have our own children and how we raise them and what we teach them, or even if we do not have children, to be a steward to all of the other people in the world. He has placed us here so that we can be lights to the world in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation and so that they would learn the word of God through us. And it is very important that through our example and through our words and through our actions, they will always maintain that image and that likeness of the Lord that he has placed in us so that they would see God in us and they would be attracted to him and they would come for their own salvation and glory be to God forever. Amen.